Welcome to the Drive with Dave podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Miller at drivewithdave.com. I get to drive some of the fastest, coolest, sexiest cars on the planet. Ever since I bought my first Ferrari, I've been immersed in the global car community. Now I travel the world uncovering the hidden gems in luxury transportation and connecting with extraordinary car enthusiasts. Join me as I find the most exotic cars, meet the owners, and get the -the behind-the-scenes stories of the world's most exclusive rides. I'm excited to have Steve Braverman on our show today, an uber-successful businessman, angel investor, passionate about fast cars. My friend Steve Braverman has much to share. Steve didn't grow up as a typical boy. By the time he was 11, Steve had already built an AMFN radio, a metal detector, a spy device, and a home security system. I'm going to wind back to that spy device in a minute. By 16, Steve learned the mechanics of a four-cylinder Alfa Romeo engine and soon rebuilt a car for himself. Always eager to find ways to make money, Steve bought and sold stereo equipment and cars had always been a part-time job for him. After graduating in 1991 with a degree in economics and marketing, Steve had a strong desire to start his own business. He was fascinated by the cellular and telecommunications industry, so he thought he would find a job in the field, learn the ins and outs, eventually starting his own company. After growing the corporate accounts division of Cellular One Agency to become the largest in the country, Steve knew it was time to go off on his own. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit and and say in 2003, he knew it was time to get out there, start to raise capital. He merged with a couple of other companies to form X4 Communications. X4 Communications distributed cloud data center and broadband service to thousands of businesses nationwide with 50 plus providers. X4 became one of the few premier telecom agencies in the United States. Sold that business in 2016 to Sandler Partners, and collectively, they became the second largest telecom agency in the U.S. During his time as X4's founder and CEO, Steve also founded Coeo Solutions with telecom industry veteran Eric Wentz. Steve and Eric are building Coeo into a serious contender with the likes of AT&T and Comcast when it comes to the latest technological advances in business communications. In addition to Coeo, Steve used a large portion of the proceeds to become an angel investor. Steve has a wife and three children, lives outside of Chicago, and in his free time, he enjoys music, auto racing, flying planes, and traveling. When I get together with Steve, it's always about cars. Welcome to the show, Steve Braverman. Thanks, Dave. It's great to be here. Tell our listeners a little bit about how you got into sports cars. I would blame my dad. My passion for automobiles. (laughs) Your, your, Your dad, Don. My dad, Don, right. Okay. Tell me about that. So, uh, my dad, he was, uh, in the 1950s, uh, either before or after the military, I want to say after the military, went to work, uh, I forgot the gentleman's last name, Sasha, I recall was his first name. I believe it was a Bentley, Rolls-Royce, MG, and possibly Volvo dealer, but um, not exactly sure, uh, In um, outside of New Haven, Connecticut, went to work for them, and then uh, started racing MGs for them shortly after in Lime Rock and, and other areas around the East Coast. And so I, I grew up around a man who always had a passion for cars, and, and uh, we had uh, subscriptions to road and track, car and driver, motor trend, and um, everything outside of my dad's business life was, was always around uh, horses and, and automobiles. So I, I took more of a, a passion to the, the horsepower than the, the horses themselves. And, and um, that, that's what got me started with uh, loving cars and, and especially uh, Ferrari and what they were all about back then. 
Well, I know your dad, Don, very well. I know he's down in Florida, a great guy. And I'm glad that he was around to sort of shepherd your journey into that. But, but you know, I got to ask you, too, from your first sports card, your first real exotic, how did that journey occur? What, uh, where, where'd you go from or what'd you end up with? It was a, it's a great story. It was uh, Canals uh, Motors when they're uh, up in Lake Forest, Illinois. My uh, mom was driving a Puzo 505 STI, and my dad said he was going to take over that car and, and buy my mom the 505 station wagon and um, asked me on a Saturday morning if I wanted to drive up to Canals with him to go look at the, the wagon and uh, buy it and come back. And while we were up there, we met a salesman um, that had been there a long time named Jim Goldstein, and um, my dad and Jim hit it off right away. And on the showroom floor was an Alfa Romeo, a 1983 GTV6 uh, in silver with black interior. And my dad said, you know, just for kicks, can I take this out? I haven't driven a, a manual transmission car in a while. And uh, Jim said, sure, let me get someone to pull it off the showroom floor. And I remember the car coming off the showroom floor. And my dad getting in the driver's seat and Jim said, take it out, have a good time, and, and uh, I'll see you when you're back. And so I was in the passenger seat. Jim didn't come with us. And my dad's going northbound on, on 41, and uh, I just remember the lights turning yellow, and he turns and looks at me and says, hold on, and I think he was heels and toes and down shifts into third and just stepped red light, and I said, Dad, <laughs> what are you doing? And, and he just had this gigantic smile on his face, and uh, he just kept doing it over and over, down shifting and, and revving that car all the way up to, to red line, and I couldn't really have a conversation with him, but I think he was just, just the adrenaline. And we got back, and I remember Jim Goldstein said, Don, what do you think? And the words I swear out of his mouth were, I'll take it. <laughs> and uh, um, instead of coming home with a Peugeot for my mom, we came home with an Alfa Romeo for my father. And uh, Jim told us quickly about joining the Alfa Romeo Owners Club of Chicago. And I was 13 years old, and my dad joined, and I went to every single event with him. And I learned uh, about all their track day events and autocross and, and, and their national conventions. And uh, by the time I was 16, I was uh, already signed up in America in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. And I remember for my 16th birthday, uh, Michael Barrett and a couple of the other uh, members of the club bought me a red Craftsman toolbox with just about every tool uh, you needed to work on a four-cylinder alpha. So I saved up money and bought myself a 74 GTV 2000. That was my first car in high school. And it was in Piper yellow. And people just looked at me like I was crazy because they were, uh, they were buying the trans Ams and Camaros and Mustangs and American muscle cars. And here's this goofy kid pulling up in a little yellow two door alpha coupe. <laughs> and, and that's what uh, got me started uh, in, in my own venture with cars and, and racing and, and just the passion for uh, automobiles. Steve, what was your first real exotic? When when did you say, hey, I'm buying something that's uh, uh, more than an alpha? Uh, what did what, you buy? Yeah, so I was, uh, I had in 2003, I bought a, uh, the, the new, uh, it was December of 03, I bought a 2004 Audi A8L and was driving that car. I bought it from my friend Joel Weinberg, who owns uh, Continental Motors. And I remember him telling me the new S8 was coming out, and that had the Lamborghini uh, V10 in it. I thought that would be a really cool car for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I bought that car, and um, about 5,000 miles later, I remember my father-in-law was interested in a Maserati Quattroporte. So I asked Joel if I could drop the Audi off at Continental Auto Sports and bring uh, a Maserati home for my father-in-law to surprise him and see what he thinks. 
and uh, he was driving a Mercedes SL550 at the time. And I parked it uh, nose out in his garage space. So when he came home and opened the garage to pull the Mercedes in, <laughs> the Maserati was facing right at him. <laughs> and uh, we took it for a ride. He fell in love with it. And then I started driving that more than the Audi when he wasn't driving it. And I fell in love with it and went back to Continental and said, uh, not that I don't like the Audi. I'm just having more fun with this Italian uh, engine car. It was a, an eight-cylinder Ferrari motor that powered it. And, uh, had so much fun with that. I said, I'd like to trade the Audi in on one as well. So my father-in-law bought a, a Quattroporte and I bought a Quattroporte. And uh, driving that for some time, hanging out more and more Continental. Um, every time you'd go in the door, there was something new. And I said, ah, sucks. This Ferrari uh, 360 Modena looks really pretty. Hmm. What would be the difference if I now traded the Quattroporte in on the 360? And uh -huh. so I would say that the 2001 360 was my first true exotic uh, car. And then it just went up from there, the 360 to the 430 to the 430 Scuderia to um, 599 GTB to the FF to a California T um, to uh, an F12 at center. So that's, that's was, was, um, Around 2007, I would say, that I, I got into my first Ferrari and um, been in them ever since. And Steve, what is it? Why, why do you buy the particular cars you own? It's not obviously just uh, just the mark. There's got to be something special that a car says to you that you decide to buy. What is it? You know, I, I've always told people, and they say, why why a Ferrari over a Porsche or why a Ferrari over this? Why, you know, there's no logic or rationale in spending that kind of money on a car. And it's not. It's it's 100% emotional. And first and foremost, from Bertoni to Pininfarina and, and some of the other designers uh, of these cars, I truly look at them as works of art. It's, it's really art on wheels. And and that's first and foremost, my, my love for the design and the flow from front to back, from, from um, side to side, how it just looks truly like a, a, a crafted piece of art out of a model of, you know, of clay or wood or whatever it may be. And then you, you talk about the sound and, and the history with uh, Enzo Ferrari and his, his years with Alfa Romeo with, with the racing and then him starting his own company and truly building something that it may sound cliche, but it's really the, the heart and soul and the passion that you get out of sitting behind the steering wheel of a, of a Ferrari. It's the, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. smell, the sound, the, the it, it's really the human body and in, in your uh, motor skills truly connecting with the engineering of an automobile. And, and I have not found that feeling in anything else other than Italian uh, cars. So I, I've owned a lot of other cars over the years, but nothing gives you that connection with uh, a car like a Ferrari does. You know, Steve, everybody, we've talked about this so much, everybody wants to own, or, or I would say half, half the people in the world want to own an exotic sports car. And one of the things I'd love to do is share shortcuts and tips with our listeners, not the shortcuts like my mom warned me about copying off my friend's papers in high school. But if you've already invented the wheel, I just don't want to do that. I've got other things to do. So your business life, obviously, your successes have allowed you to fulfill your your passion for automobiles. So if, if you were mentoring a boy or girl coming out of college that you wanted to put them on the track for the successful life, what would you take them aside and tell them uh, to, to, to help them on that track? It seems like so many people, and I'm going through this with my son right now, he's a sophomore in college and, and helping uh, line up some connections for an internship. So many people go through college thinking that where am I going to get a job after college? And 
and then that job, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, becomes their, their pathway to their career. And one thing that I think is missed so often is the ability to start your own company, especially in the United States. And with very uh, little money, how you can incorporate and, and file for an LLC or, or an S Corp or C Corp. And now with, with the internet and, and all the tools that are out there to design business cards and a website and letterhead and, and sign up to get your own email address and, and uh, work virtually, uh, it, it's really if you're going to get a job in corporate America, use that as your stepping stone because most corporations are using you for your labor and uh, don't really care about you as a person uh, long-term. I would say most, there are several corporations that do care, but uh, for the most part, that's a statement I would make and, and use what you learn there to be a stepping stone to then start your own company and start it as a, in, in an industry or field, something that you like, which is a mistake that I made. I've always wanted to be in the automotive industry and still till this day, getting closer to 50 years old, I'm still not in the automotive industry making money. And I always said to my dad, I, I haven't figured out how to make money in the automotive industry. And my dad told me for years, and I hear this still hear this today, if you do what you love and, and, and your passion, you will automatically figure out a way to make money. And uh, so, so follow that passion and turn that into your, your lifelong career and have it as something that you own. And it will become your, your job and your career and, and a place where you make money. And you can wake up smiling every day that you're doing something that you truly love. So that, that's, that's my feedback to kids coming out of college is come out of college looking to start your own company. Don't come out of college looking to work for someone all your life. And, and you think the, the kids today are into that? Or do you think, uh, obviously, there's so many ways to uh, take what you uh, learn on the street, combine it with college. Do you think that people are receptive to that? Are they still kind of locked into that, that college, let's become an economist? Or I think it, it, it probably dates back to um, parents and siblings and socialization and, and professors and, and, uh, um, uh, it's, it's all fear driven. It's, uh, well, how do I know I'm going to be successful and how do I know I can do this? And, and you've got to stop doing the what ifs and how do I know is and, and stop questioning and just start doing. And, and it, it's amazing the magic of, of what comes from just putting forth effort and knowing that it's okay to fail and you probably will fail a number of times, but it's about getting back up and starting again and, and seeing what comes of it. And, um, if you can get past the fear factor and know that when you're young, you don't need a lot of money. You're, you're living back at home with mom or, and dad or uh, in an apartment that you're splitting with a number of, of buddies from college. You don't have a wife. You don't have kids. You don't have a mortgage. You might have a car payment. But, man, the, the, the tools available today for raising money in so many untraditional ways, you know, not debt, debt financing through a bank or, or private equity or venture capital, there's there's the friends and family and angel route. There's crowdfunding and, and all these different resources where you can pull things together. And, and it's amazing how you can turn a few thousand dollars into millions and millions of dollars. So it's, it's just having that passion, that drive, and, and pushing aside that fear to go out and just get it done. You know, Steve, you have, and we, you and I have had many, many conversations over our knowing one another. Um, and you, you are always one of those guys too, just like Enzo Ferrari said, what's the next thing? What's, what's going on next? And I know everybody in, in life, I, I do certainly, uh, all of my friends do, 
has aspirations. What do you want to do next? And how are you going to do, how are you going to get it done? What do you want to do next? <laughs> so I'll always be in technology. I've been a, uh, a gadget geek all my life. I finally this year went to the Consumer Electronics Show out in Las Vegas and saw more things ever imaginable. But putting all of the, the technology and the telecommunications aside, I, I love automobiles and I love aviation. And uh, I'm, I'm working right now on, on a, a potential um, aviation opportunity that could um, get me hanging out at the a private airport a little more often and, and with some people that I really enjoy and, and, and experiencing more of that world. And then uh, as crazy as it sounds, because I know it's, it's not sexy as some people would say, but owning a car dealership would, is, is really something I, I would love to do. And, and uh, it's not so much about me making millions of dollars off the car dealership. It's just the experience of being able to wake up and, and go into a place every day that I, I love seeing the, the new cars coming in for sale. I love seeing the high-end mechanics uh, working on these cars and restoring cars. So something, something around there or, or somewhere in the racing uh, part of the automotive industry would be really neat as well. So um, I, I've got a, a lot of years left in my life, and uh, I know that uh, in, in the next several years, in addition to what I'm doing in technology, there will be uh, an opportunity for automotive and for automobiles with me. I'm sorry, automobiles and, and uh, aviation. And, and you are such a lifestyle guy. You've been all over the world. You've enjoyed lots and lots of car events, both as a spectator and a participant. What's some of your favorites? Where would you tell people to go to have a lot of fun? Nothing is like a Formula One race. Even over the past number of years with the change of the engines and going to the hybrids and and not having the the ear-piercing sound of of what they used to be, it's still the experience. It's so much bigger than life. And I've been to Indy races throughout the country. I've been to NASCAR at the Daytona 500. I've been to historic races and, and club racing, but the, the presentation, what goes into putting on a formula one race and, and you've got guys literally earning, you know, 20 to $80 million a year driving automobiles and, and billion dollar budgets for these race teams. It, it's, it's a true event and, and, and it's a weekend that takes over a city and turns it into an automobile enthusiast dream. So it's great here in the States, if you live here, to, to wander down to Austin, Texas, and spend the weekend there and, and go out to Circuit of the Americas. But if you can get out to other parts of the world and, and see Formula One, it, it really is just shows you kind of like soccer is for, for the world. It's a worldwide sport, and it's a very expensive, uh, wealthy sport, and, and it draws all kinds of people and all kinds of activities and fun and sponsorship and uh, I, I could go to every race throughout a season and I wouldn't be bored. What's your favorite track? Do you have a favorite track you'd like to go, you've either been to or an F1 track or um, you, you, you want to go to one day, where, where would you go? Uh, there's so many of them out there. Um, I, I've been doing Montreal for many, many years. It's, it's a really special place mm-hmm. and, and the, the people just love uh, when the race comes to town. Um, Circuit of the Americas, it's it's really starting to catch on in the U.S. and Texas. Um, I did Budapest a couple years ago. I thought that was spectacular. I would go back. Um, the, the people in Budapest are so friendly, so affordable. The food was so incredible. Um, I, I really want to do uh, um, Monaco. Um, I know Monza is not a huge track, but just because it's it's not far from Marinello and, and the whole Ferrari uh, influence there, I would uh-huh. love to be there. Yep. Um, I'd, I'd love to go to Japan. I'd love to go to uh, Australia. <laughs> I could keep going. Um, 
Spain would be another one on my list. Now, Steve, the flip side of that is I also know I know you're a big adventure guy, and recently we talked about something that you did down in Mexico. I can't remember what that was. So I, I, I've always seen the rally cars. You're talking about like Peugeot and Renault and, and, and some of these cars going through the dirt and, and going sideways. It's always been, wow, I wish I could do that one day. Well, I have a, a very close friend who um, was involved with a race team outside of um, um, Cabo, Mexico, and invited me down for a weekend with his uh, race team and their uh, four trucks. And he rented a uh, little over a mile dirt track with some elevation and some jumps and, and gave me a couple rides around and buckled me in the driver's seat and said, go have some fun. And uh, holy crap, <laughs> if, <laughs> if you don't mind your neck being banged back and forth without a Hans device and uh, can, can take the pain, it's an absolute trip. I would do it again in a, in a second. And he also has uh, a number of quads, and there are literally hundreds of miles of uh, sand road all over uh, the, the Cabo uh, area. And uh, he puts on these adventure travel tours and, and rents these things out. And um, it, it was just it was a phenomenal weekend, just perfect weather and, and um, beautiful, open places to see and, and really cool elevation. And um, wow. <laughs> Great experience. Uh, I know you were nice enough to send me uh, that contact information. I definitely need to drop down to Cabo soon because that's something I've always wanted to do is in that Baja 1000 that I'm so interested in that. And by the way, do you have any interest at all in self-driving cars? Well, ironically, I'm sitting in a, uh, a Tesla right now with the bigger battery in it. And uh, um, I, I think it's it's definitely the future of transportation. There's there's so many benefits to uh, being, let's call it, part of a grid or, or a, a connected transportation system, and um, not just from freeing up uh, traffic jams and, and less accidents, um, but also from a, um, uh environmental standpoint with uh, not burning fuel. Um, so I think eventually uh, it's going to be you can have your electric car or you can have the gas car, and at some point the... Uh, the gas engines will uh, start to, to phase their way out. But um, for me, I'll always have a love for engines, and particularly 12-cylinder motors. I don't blame you. 12s are the way to go, no question about it. But it, it always reminds me of that thing that I'd heard that, uh, you know, there was a time that horses were used for transportation, and now they're just for fun. Um, that that's. Do you think that's going to be the fate of the gasoline engine cars? Yeah, I think as battery technology improves, as solar technology improves, um, again, so many benefits, and I really, I've been fascinated for years with um, pneumatic tires. Like, why are we still driving on rubber and, and something that creates friction and and um, wears out over time? Um, I really see things either hovering or, or flying in the future that are, are battery-slash-solar-powered. And it's coming at us a lot faster than we think, isn't it, Steve? It, it's unbelievable how, mm-hmm. how quick technology is growing and and. and doubling, you know, every so many months instead of years now. So, yeah, I think we, with, with regulation and, and, and government uh, sponsorship, um, there's so much that's already out there that's available. It's just a matter of getting it through the system. And, you know, and to talk about today's cars, it, it seems to me that, I might be wrong, but software is making cars faster. But is it killing driving skills? I can be a really good driver in something that's modern with an algorithm for slip angles and getting around a track fast. But um, cars have gotten to be so fast these days, it, it seems like anybody can drive a car pretty quickly. Is that software killing driving skills? It is. It's, it's really just 
point and shoot or, or now if it's autonomous, sit back and, and let it do it on its own for you. Um, even I, I recently bought a, a Porsche, a, a Turbo S, and with the, the all-wheel drive and the rear-wheel steering, um, as aggressive as I've been playing around with that car, it, 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 it you get out of line a little bit, and it just puts you right back in into line. And mm-hmm. it's uh, mm-hmm. I'm interested to see what it's like on the track. But unless you can turn all that technology off, which obviously is still available in most of these cars today, um, it, it is taking over uh, the input from that driver and, and taking away from the experience. Obviously, you've been very successful in your life. You've had great, great cars. But let's talk about the one. Uh, I always like to pose this question to my guests. Money, no object. One car. If, if you could, what, what, what would you own and why? What would you buy? So you see, and, I, and obviously I know why from an investment standpoint or making sure the car doesn't get hurt. But when you see like these 250 Ferrari, um the, the prices that they are going for at auction and people you know, handling them literally with gloves and, and keeping them in a, a museum or a, a, a garage. Um, those kinds of cars, if I could own one of them, <laughs> I wouldn't let the thing sit. I would take it out and I would enjoy it. And as much as I love the technology of some of the modern day street cars and race cars, to go back to those cars that burn a little bit of oil and smell a little bit, and you really have to put your foot down on the brake and still heel and toe and, and, uh, you know, rev the engine to, to downshift and no power steering. There's the mechanical part of it to me. is just, it's still such a thrill because again, it's that connection of human being with automobile and, and you don't have that anymore. So would, I'd go back to vintage. And it would def- it would absolutely be a Ferrari. It would it would be it would be absolutely vintage. It would be a Ferrari. It would still stink of castrol, but it would be an absolute ball to drive. No doubt. And I would come <laughs> home, and my wife would say, "Get in the shower, you stink." <laughs> yeah, there's no catalytic converter. <laughs> Jen would probably say that. Steve, you've given us some great thoughtful points on what to do to become more successful in life. Certainly, what you drive and why. I think you've laid down a path for people that want to go from point A to point B. If people want to get a hold of you, and I, I certainly know that I would if I was listening, uh, wh- where should they find you? Yeah, the best way is email, sbraverman at me.com. And I would challenge if, if someone is listening that, that's coming up out of college and has a really great business idea that they want to pitch it to me and are looking for some seed money and a partner to help mentor them uh, with the business. I'm always interested in, in to mentoring and listening to what people have to say, and if I can help them grow their business uh I'd be up for that challenge. But uh, it's amazing how many times I put that out there and someone says, that sounds great. And and, yeah, I'm going to give you a call and and the phone never rings or the the email never comes in. So it'd be great to see someone uh, take advantage of that. And and, uh, I'd have a new uh, business partner and a a new hobby and and challenge to work on with them. Oh, Steve, I've got some really great ideas. (laughs) (laughs) let's get together send me an email Dave I will Steve no question I'll wrap up a little bit after the show but I want to tell you that you have been a tremendous guest you're one of the first people we've had on here because I thought it was important that people would hear where you've been what you do and where you're headed I can't thank you enough for your time I'm looking forward to getting together with you again when I'm back in Chicago thank you Steve Braverman for um, your tips and your your car talk thanks Steve thanks Dave thanks for your continued friendship and uh, the great services from uh your agency at State Farm. I've enjoyed working with you over the years and continued uh, friendship. Have a great day. Thank you, Steve. Thanks so much. 
Thanks for joining us on the Drive with Dave podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you'd like to hear and see more about exotic sports cars, you can connect with us at drivewithdave.com, where you can also sign up for our newsletter. Also, catch us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks again.